Um, so here's what I want us to do. I, you know, a better pastor uh, would have done something different on a cantata Sunday. So I apologize. This is a really hard passage, actually, just to kind of dive into. So um, we've done this once before, but contextually can be a challenge. So let me just kind of briefly tell you what's happening. And if you're lost and confused, I'm sure you will not be the only one. So Israel in this time has been divided into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel, right? Which is already confusing enough as it is. And that one is also called Ephraim. So Ephraim and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, which is where Jerusalem is. Is. Well, you have these two kingdoms, and then as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, the Assyrians who are constantly kind of running through, running roughshod five different times, they come through and they destroy uh, the country of Israel five times. And so the northern kingdom is weary of always being kind of run over, and so they decide to partner with Syria, not Assyria, this is why it's confusing, but with Syria. And they say, oh great, we're going to be partners against Assyria. And so they want their brothers and sisters in the southern kingdom to join them. That way they can have a whole strong kind of a united front. But the people of Assyria, or excuse me, now I'm confused, the people of Judah, of the southern kingdom, led by King Ahaz, they had a better plan. And their plan was actually to partner with Assyria, with the really big uh, uh, empire near them. Well, that, of course, did not make the northern kingdom and Syria very happy. So they decided they were going to attack the southern kingdom. One commentator has said it's a bit like this. It's a bit like if we're here in America and, and Canada to the north says we're, they're going to attack us and Mexico to the south says they're going to attack us and then the Australians from the west say they're going to attack us. And so you could see that there would be this great sense of fear and anxiety. In the middle of all of that, God longs for Judah, for King Ahaz, to not partner with Assyria, nor to partner with anyone else, but to simply trust him. And so he sends Isaiah there as his prophet. And he sends him to King Ahaz, and he's trying to talk him into, do not partner with anyone, trust in me. And he says, as we will hear, I will give you any sign that you need to just trust in me. And that takes us to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray for your presence this morning. We thank you for the ways in which we have already heard you proclaimed in this beautiful song. We thank you for the gifts of voices, the gifts of instrumentalist 
Lord, for the creation and the ways in which you have created this world that we might proclaim who you are. And so we pray in the midst of that, Lord, that you would help us to hear you and you alone. And I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So as hopefully you heard and and kind of uh, cold from the text that I said, God uh, said, I will give you any kind of sign. Just, Just please trust in me. And Ahaz says to him, no, 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 God. We are not to put you to the test. Now, it sounds like very wonderfully religious and pietistic, uh, a holy language that Ahaz is giving to the Lord. But what we know of Ahaz already is that his character and his words do not always align. And in fact, we know this, that if God says, hey, I will do something for you, you should probably just listen and do whatever God says rather than saying, no, God, actually, this is what exactly you should do. I shouldn't test you. If God says, I'm going to give you uh, some kind of sign, you should just say, yes, absolutely, amen. Thank you. Yes. But that's not what he does. No, he says, no, 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 I shouldn't do this. And there's all this kind of, you know, there's this sense of of, of almost hypocrisy, actually, which is exactly what Isaiah knows it is. Because did you hear how Isaiah responded to the king? Isaiah says this, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? The message puts it like this. It's bad enough that you make people tired with your pious, timid hypocrisies. But now you are making God tired. What does he say to Ahaz? He basically says this. Oh, okay, you hypocrite. You know what? I'm going to give you a sign whether you want one or not. And here is going to be your sign. A woman is pregnant and she is going to give birth. And the name of the child will be Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if I were to say to you, here's good news, Emmanuel, God with us, you would think that's a good thing. In fact, during the Advent season, all we talk about is Emmanuel, God with us, again and again. And whenever we talk about it, it's always this good news. We're always excited. In fact, just last Sunday, if you were here, you will know that I said, you know what? If we want to be a people who are not fearful, a people of joy, you know what we need? We need to understand that Emmanuel does not mean God in the sanctuary. It means God with us wherever it is that you go, wherever you work, live, or play, that God is always there with you, that this is the good news of the gospel, Emmanuel. But Advent should probably also be a season where we begin to ask ourselves whether or not we genuinely believe that. Or whether or not, if we're being honest, there aren't times when we would prefer God actually to not be with us. Not long ago, I was um, at a party, uh, a work party for somebody, and this was, um, this was in a kind of a big warehouse uh, downtown, and 
Uh, so I, I went there, and as I walked in, I saw a police car that was over in the, um, um, right outside the building. And, and it was in a part of town that has some crime, robbery, uh, sometimes cars getting stolen, stones going through people's windows, those kinds of things. So I walked inside, and I was there, and I was talking to the owner of the building. And I said, hey, I noticed that you got a, a cop out there. He's like, yeah, you know what, I just kind of hired an off-duty cop. And I said, okay, great. And, 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 and he said, you know, yeah, there is some crime. It's not that bad. We probably don't don't really need it. But, you know, here's what it does. It allows people to come inside and they feel safe and they don't have to worry about the fact that their, you know, that their car is out there that might get stolen or have something inside of it stolen. And so it brings a certain amount of peace, you know. And so, so we, uh, we have cop with us, if you will. That's not really what he said, but that's kind of what he said. And I thought, well, that makes sense. You know what? It makes people feel comfortable. We like to have, you know, police nearby in these moments. Okay, good. Police with us. This is great. But then there's Ohio. <laughs> a number of years ago now, about 20 years ago, well before I was a pastor, I used to like to drive fast. <laughs> and one night I was driving somewhat quickly through Ohio. It was dark. I couldn't see. I didn't see him, but he saw me. <laughs> and he pulled me over. And I did everything I could to talk myself out of it. I was literally headed towards seminary. That didn't seem to affect him at all. And so sure enough, I got a fairly uh, expensive uh, ticket, which I didn't really have the money for. I wasn't very happy, so you know, that's fine. But one of the things I've noticed over the last nine years as I've lived here in Indiana is every time I cross over the state line, the Ohio police are literally everywhere everywhere. They're just always there. I mean, you just have to immediately slam on your brakes if you were going too fast before that, from what I hear. You know what? You know what I don't want right then? I don't want police. When I'm on the interstate, I don't want police with us because you know what? I'm in control. I feel very safe. I know exactly what I'm doing. I can go as fast as I want. I don't want them in my business in those moments. I just want to be able to drive. No offense, Matt. <laughs> I want to be able to just go. The reality is this. When it comes to police, I want them when I want them. But then in other times, I prefer them not to be there. Sometimes you want police with us. And sometimes you want police not with us. Now, in many ways, it seems to me this is a bit of what is happening with King Ahaz. King Ahaz, in particular parts of his life, he probably very much says, hey, I want God with us whenever he's in the, the temple or, or whatnot. Oh, yes, I want, I, want, I want Emmanuel. I want God with us. This is good news. But there are other times of his life when what he does not want is to be disrupted or bothered or have God in his business. And this is one of those very moments. Ahaz did not want God with us. And I want to say, I don't really blame him all that much. He has all of these different nations. They are bearing down on him. And in that moment, what he wanted was not God with us. What he wanted was Assyrians with us. And Ahaz is not necessarily a bad guy. He is simply scared to death. In fact, I love the way uh, verse 7 says this, or verse 2, I should say. It says that all of their hearts, they were shaking as the trees of the forest shake 
before the wind. They were afraid. And when we are afraid, do you know what? When we are anxious, we want something tangible. We want something we can see. We want something that looks really powerful. And in that moment, it wasn't God. That did not look like God to King Ahaz. He wanted something that he could see, a mighty army. And he said, okay, let's go with you all. We want Assyria with us. We want power with us. We want might with us. We want this military with us. Because we think that that is going to be the thing that gives us peace. We think this is going to be the thing that gives us hope and joy if we are with Assyria with us. But as King Ahaz will discover, and as you hear in verse 17, King Assyria, the king of Assyria or Assyria will end up running roughshod over the people of Judah. He thought that that would be where he would find peace, and yet it was only where he ended up finding destruction. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded yet one more time of David Foster Wallace's commencement speech. I've shared it before, but every time I begin to think about our desire to center our lives around anything other than God, I am always reminded of this speech where he talks about, what are you worshiping? In those moments, King Ahaz was saying, I'm going to worship the power and strength of, of Assyria, not, not of God, because here, this is what's going to bring me peace. And here is what David Foster Wallace says. I, I hope you remember this. He says, if we worship money and things, then you will always be afraid that you do not have enough. If you worship your body and beauty, you will continually wrestle with feelings that you are not beautiful enough. And when you start aging, you will end up dying a thousand deaths before you are planted. If we worship our intellect, we will continually be comparing our intelligence to others and will be constantly afraid that we will be found out that our intelligence is a fraud. And this one I think is especially pertinent for Ahaz. And for perhaps us, if you worship power, you will continually be afraid and do whatever you must do to control others and keep their power at bay. When you are afraid or you are anxious or you are looking for joy or hope or peace or love to where do you go do you go to God or do you go to one of these other things to try to bring you that because the reality is eventually the facade of those things will always reveal themselves you see, if you're looking for joy, and I oftentimes see this, if you're looking for joy and we begin to think, I know where joy will come, it will come from the next vacation. If I could just go on that next vacation and get away from everything, then I will find joy. And as I heard someone say the other day, the problem with that is, is that whenever you go on vacation, you always take yourself with you. And you ultimately end up bringing all of those same things with you. And you eventually have to come back home. And even the greatest of vacations will always leave you if you think that these are going to be the things that bring you joy. They will always leave you. They will leave you, as we said last week, momentarily happy. But they will not bring you long-lasting joy. 
Or perhaps we think, oh, I know my hope, uh, you know, it's going to be in my success or, 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 or in my beauty. And if those begin to decline in any way, then what I oftentimes see, of course, is then you begin to put your hope, if you have children, in your children. Oh, this is the future of my hope. And here's the problem. Too many kids in here, to be brutally honest. Um, <laughs> that they will likely not always end up being in first place. There will almost always be someone a little bit smarter, a little bit better at athletics, a little bit this or that, a little bit more successful. And if you keep thinking, oh, I'm going to get my hope for my child is going to be the very best. And even if I feel like I'm on the decline, this is where I'll be hoping. All of a sudden, you will put all this emphasis on this child or on your children. And you ultimately will have no sense of hope. If you begin to think, oh, I know where I'm going to find love. I'm going to find love from people on social media. And I'm going to do enough beautiful, wonderful posts that show my perfect family and my, all my successes and all of these things. And I'm going to get so many likes and it's all going to be great. And then I'm going to feel loved. And then, as we've said so many times before, right after you've posted this thing, someone else will post something and all of their things will be just a little bit better. And you'll realize, okay, but what happens? Here's the problem. We don't then just say, oh, okay, well, I'll look to God for even more. No, we just think, well, I have to ramp this up even more. This is why you never find hope or joy or love or peace in these things. Or we, just, or we decide like Ahaz, well, we need to resort to some kind of power. And so we look to have power. Oftentimes, many of us especially, we have power in our own businesses or power in our companies or power in the community or any of those kinds of things, right? And having power in and of itself is fine. But when you begin to think that having power is what will bring you peace, then you will constantly be on the lookout for someone else who may undermine your power. And you you will never find peace. And the question that we must all ask is this, are we looking for power with us to bring us peace and hope or money with us or image with us or vacation with us or do we genuinely want Emmanuel, God with us? Because it is only Emmanuel who will truly bring you those things, no matter what you may face. Now, I don't have nearly as much time as I usually do, so let me end briefly by just saying three quick things. One is this. A part of our goal, part of what I want us to do today is just simply ask, are you aware? All of us wrestle with this. The Advent question today is not, do you wrestle with really wanting God with us wherever you go. The question is really more apt is, where? Where do you wrestle with that? Are you cognizant of that? Are you reflecting on that? And secondly, when you become aware of these moments, when you are anxious or fearful or looking for any of those things, what do you do in those moments? Let me encourage you that one of the greatest things we can do is what we've been talking about over the last three months and what we practiced just a few minutes, just a little bit ago, which is simply to be quiet, to be still. When I was uh, studying um, at seminary with uh, Todd Bolsinger, he would always go back to this military term uh, where he said, in crises, we don't rise to the occasion, we sink to the level of our training. In other words, in those moments when we are anxious or fearful or looking for love or joy or hope or peace, the truth is this. We won't just all of a sudden in those moments say, oh, I need Emmanuel, God, with us. 
You will instead begin to work frantically to try to find those things, to fix the problem. But if you have been training yourself, as we have been encouraging you to do, to simply in moments to be still, then perhaps unlike Ahaz in those moments, rather than just saying, I have to grapple for some kind of connection, you will simply be able to be still long enough to say, Lord, what would you have me do? And then finally, I think if we want to be a people of Emmanuel, we need to become more defiant. I, uh, was that thank you good or can you finish it up? Okay, good, all right. Well, I want to tell you the story about the Estonians. I want to revisit this and then we'll be done. So the Estonians, as you probably know, Estonia was a little country in the Soviet Republic. And when the Soviets kind of took over, when the Russians took over, uh, what they really wanted to do is they wanted to Russify everything. And so they, you know, they said their primary language should be Russian. It shouldn't be Estonian anymore. And, and, and they took away all the kind of those things that made Estonia unique, if you will. And one of those things where we don't want you to sing any more patriotic songs. No more Estonian patriotic songs. But here's the thing about the Estonians. The Estonians were singers. They loved to sing. And so they kept singing in spite of the fact that the Russians said no more singing they kept singing these patriotic songs all the time and decades later in the mid 80s they began to sing these songs even more they would begin to defy them in these large groups and they would just begin to sing these songs and at one gathering there were 300,000 people who gathered and began to sing and they were singing and singing and singing now here's the strange thing right this is all that they have you have people who are singing versus the Russians who had military and guns and weaponry, you know, and all of this power. It's not very impressive to have singers versus this. And yet, because of this fact that they kept singing and kept singing, it kind of solidified their resolve. It helped them to remember who they were and what they were about. So much so that eventually when they got their freedom, outside folks describe this, historians describe this as the singing revolution. And here's what a couple folks said. They said the powers in the Communist Party were afraid because these songs ignited the passions of the people. Someone else said that singing brought Estonians together and gave them the courage to rebel. And then the New York Times writer said, in bold acts of singing, they reclaimed their identity. In other words, the singing was just not, not just nice. It wasn't just pretty. It wasn't just eloquent. It wasn't any of those things. It was all those things. But what it also was, was remarkably defiant to the power and the world that was around them saying, no, 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 this is who you are. And they kept saying, no, 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 this is who we are. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that it's great to see these gathered here as singing wonderful songs that tickle our ears, and that give praise to God, and those are all good and right things. But here's what I also want to suggest with the power of song, which is that when you look at the choir, you look at them not just as people who are singing, but you look at them as leaders of a rebellion. Not a rebellion just to bring old songs back. But as a rebellion that says, we are not going to allow ourselves 
to live into what the world says that this is what gives you love and hope and joy and peace and this is why you matter and this is why you're significant. No, heck no. As they sing and they're gonna lead us in a song, oh come all ye faithful, which is a song, a call to arms, if you will, which is saying, yes, you know what? We are against those who say this is the way in which we will find peace and hope. It is not through our wealth. It is not through our power. It is not through our children. It is not through our image. It is through God and God alone and so as they stand to help sing this to us I want you to look at them as being the leaders of a rebellion now you may be saying I don't understand that when I see that's not what I see but do you think 2,000 years ago when they saw a baby vulnerable born in an oppressed place full of poverty who in their right mind would have seen that child and have thought this is the beginning of a rebellion against the world? And so in the same way this morning, may we proclaim the songs of God as an act of worship and as an act of defiance to say we are a people of Emmanuel, God with us, God wherever we go. For God's glory, and for God's glory alone. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. A day, Lord, when we get to sing your praises and to remember who you say we are. That we are a people, an Advent people. A people, Lord, who believe in Emmanuel. God with us everywhere. And as we do so, may we feel the depths of joy and hope and peace and love as we have never experienced before. It's in your name we pray. Amen.